Today, we're talking about exit strategy, succession planning, and the economy. It's all about the economy right now. People are feeling like it is 4th of July every weekend. Welcome back to the Raw Take for CEOs, where we tackle today's issues and how they impact your business. And this is hosted by me, Dan. And Steven. We'll give you our raw take on what's important for your business. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to a new episode of Raw Take for CEOs. Today's an exciting one. Outside of our great guest, it is our 50th podcast. I don't know if Robert realizes that. Stephen Byler is still on vacation, so I've got my uh, mighty sidekick here, Corey Cornoyer. Besides uh, Jack of all trades, he's leading our marketing uh, effort, not just internally, but with uh, customers. The theme of the week and the month and maybe the last quarter is inflation. We're going to kind of play off of that. Robert Diapolo, him and I were geeking out to this last week. And I was like, man, you need to, you need to come on with us because we're going to enjoy this conversation. So ready, Corey? I'm ready. You ready, Rob? Yep. Pleasure to be here. All right, Rob. So tell us a little bit about your firm and uh, how you found yourself business planning director. So National Financial Network's been around since 1951. We are a Northeast financial advisory firm with three really main divisions. We have our wealth management, our insurance division, and our business planning. We also have a niche market in the premium finance space, which is for ultra-high net worth individuals. But our business market really developed out of need. Many of our high net worth, ultra high net worth clients were business owners. And coming on to the topic we were talking about today, as they near retirement, many financial advisors just throw on the balance sheet, oh, you own a business? It's $3 million. It's $4 million. You just take a number from the client and take it for granted. Well, as these people started coming close to retirement, we started realizing, wait, that $3 million is a million. Now, all of a sudden, $2 million evaporating from your retirement plan isn't a good thing. And with all the baby boomers nearing that age and all these business owners getting to that stage, we started building out a business plan division with the end in mind, planning out how business owners could really optimize that. And once we figured out how to figure out the solution, the division really developed itself because if you could help somebody at the conclusion, you could help them in the midway and in the starting point because they have the right steps in place. Yeah, no, this First is a great segue because I want to touch on something we talked about. But Robert, tell us a little bit about you. How, how did you get into this business? So I've been in financial services now about 14 years. Started out in transactional equities. Realized transactional equities was a dying thing. Went to a hedge fund for a little bit. Wasn't really an institutional guy. Loved being client facing. Loved being on the consumer side and facing small, medium-sized business owners. Ended up shifting out of that. Ended up at another peer mutual for a little bit and then came to... National Financial Network about six years ago. Personally, I have a BBA in finance. I'm a minute attorney in New York and a certified exit planner, one of about 350 in the country. So this really became a specialty of mine, which I really started talking to and geeking out with, especially how we started talking. I published a few articles in Forbes on it. Uh, I've been quoted in the journal on it and even contacted by Harvard to really give some insight on some family succession planning and small business owner succession planning because it's such a growing topic that's the sleeping giant that people are going to really see develop over the next five to seven years because all these business owners are in their 50s and 60s that are boomers and this transitions right in front of our face man you're a dangerous guy right 
a lawyer, business guy, exit strategy. I mean, it all comes together, right? So Corey and I were just talking today. You know, if you go back to the 2008 recession, it literally took small, medium-sized businesses and their business owners a solid 10 years to get back to a point where they could even contemplate selling a business. And maybe part of that was lack of planning. But today, here we are, liquidity is back in the market. The banks are hungry to lend money, right? Mm -hmm. And we're coming out of a pandemic. Who the heck isn't tired from the last, like, 14, 16 months? We're seeing more businesses, like, preparing themselves for an eventual sale. And it's one of the questions we're going to go into, so I'm not going to, like, dive too deep. we won't dive into the lightning rounds. But there's, I think there's all these headwinds coming at it, and there's a a bunch of different things. And tailwinds. And tailwinds, good stuff, right? Yeah, both both sides of the equation. So, Robert, what do you tell a a business owner, 60 years old, hey, Robert, I think I need to just sell my business? So really when I look at it, it takes a few different aspects. It's one, analyzing the business. What shape is the business in? Is the business in a sellable state? Are employees and the business in a position that someone would want to buy it? Is their personal financial house in order? And they have, have they given themselves a real financial reality check? As we know, business owners, what they say their income is and what they actually realize when we actually take into account the fringe benefits of being a business owner, they don't realize that transition. And the biggest question which I really come into play is, what's next? The biggest fear and the cold feet at the closing table is, what's next? What's on the other side of the horizon? And for a business owner to really say, it's time for me to hang up, they might have frustrations, but what are they really thinking about and what's their motivation to do it? And have they planned out that the same way they plan getting into their business? Yeah, that, yeah. That really starts the process. I'm curious, personally curious, what you've seen maybe in the past few months, like 2021 versus maybe 2019, like when you say preparing for exit and having like the infrastructure and the foundation, like what is actually there? Are you seeing a lot of the businesses that have gotten through COVID? Like what types of investments have you seen them make in their infrastructure? Because it's something that we've talked about a lot is like we keep telling people like invest in like the infrastructure, right? Like the cloud components of it. Have you seen that? Like, uh, are yeah, you witnessing is a there trend? a shift between uh, from premise to off-premise type technology? I've seen a good combination. I've seen at the bare minimum, a lot of companies move to cloud backup. I've seen a lot of companies move to remote platforms. Like our company, we got lucky. Right before the pandemic, we switched to a whole cloud-based system, including our phone systems. So our office lines ring straight through the cloud to our iPhones. So when we had to go to the pandemic, our office lines were still ringing at our home. No one knew the difference. Many companies still had their hard pot lines and everything going to the office that they were scrambling to say, hey, how do I forward lines? How do I get John to work from his house when everything's hardwired to our main office in Madison Avenue or wherever it might be? And these were a lot of transitions that companies that put the money in the infrastructure really benefited during the heart of the pandemic and the lockdown. Companies that didn't, you saw a lot of pain, which led to a lot of the PPP and other things that were happening that we saw. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't know how to quantify it, but I'm sure that at the beginning of the pandemic, that was a direct, like that phone systems alone were a direct cause of many closures because when people were forced to go 
virtual, yeah. if you can't do it, what are you going to do? Or even simple systems like scheduling and planning, yeah. invoicing, or even things like accounts payable, right? Mm -hmm. If you can't get into the office to pay your vendors, like mm -hmm. you're okay. not going to get a whole lot of love from your vendors. Yeah. We have been seeing, Rob, small businesses, I mean, we're talking 5 to 20, $25 million companies yeah. that have begun to take a deeper look at their back office functions, whether it's a manufacturer, a printing, service-based business, coming to that realization like, hey, I'm, I'm like touching 60 and if I really want to, if I really want to see this through, say, the next five years, and I'm looking for an exit, succession planning, I'm really going to have to elevate my processes and systems and technology. And ultimately, the key here is de-risking all of that mm -hmm. because this will not be the last shut down. There's always going to be a hurricane, a snowstorm. There won't always be a pandemic, right? But there's always going to be something that uh, stops your workforce from getting back into that office. Yep. But the other thing I said besides that is, bringing another level is outsourcing. I've seen a lot of functions now get outsourced in certain roles. Many people had the receptionists. Many people had the assistants. I've seen a big rise in the virtual assistant into the virtual doorman and all these different things because now all of a sudden you don't need those bodies you don't need those expenses you pay as on an as-needed basis which is cutting costs cutting your physical footprint in office spaces that we've seen a lot of restructuring maybe we don't need every assistant in the office right maybe we could hire an assistant that's offshore or an assistant in a cheaper part of the country it's really been another one of those areas that's really shifted on that topic. Right. Now, if, the, if we had um, infomercials or commercials in our podcast, I think Rob just kind of shot one our way, right? Mm -hmm. Th that is part of our business model here is, you know, you do need that capability, but you actually need more than the capability you're getting. You sometimes need capability that is across the entire value stream, but you just don't need as much of that capacity at every moment or at every yeah. intersection. In it's that easy to scale both up and down, too. It is, yeah. it is. And then, of course, in companies like ours, not to, again, plug, but there is business continuity and disaster recovery. That is part of our DNA, right? That is the value yeah. proposition that companies like ours give. And I'm sure another reason why yeah. people are doing that now, to your point, Rob, is like unemployment. Right, like people yeah. are still on that unemployment line. Like, it, it is hard to find labor in yeah. maybe more industries than others. But now, if you're able to tap into talent, not only cheaper, not only able to scale up and down, but is actually a little bit more aligned with what you were looking for. It's Both no capability and capacity. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah no. and it also adds a layer of redundancy. If you think about mm -hmm. it, if you have an in-office assistant, she goes out sick, you have to scramble to find another assistant. You have a virtual assistant, someone goes down, they have somebody in the system that's automatically built in as their redundancy because that's what you're paying them for, which a lot of business owners are finding as another level of security. I agree. You know, one of the Achilles heels in many small businesses is tribal knowledge. And sometimes tribal knowledge, those hidden factories, if you will, they're, they're within one person, right? That one person's head and God forbid something happens to that individual. And of course, you know, we all love to protect our jobs like we are the most important person in what we do for any business, right? But the reality is having more transparent workflow and standard operating procedures and backup, knowing what that other person is doing. Part of what we do is we have to have those standard operating procedures and they have to be visible and transparent. And so, yeah, no, I, I could talk about this all day long, but this isn't the point yeah. of this particular episode. 
Today, we're talking about exit strategy, succession planning, and the economy. It's all about the economy right now. People are feeling like it is 4th of July every weekend. Doesn't matter what industry you're in, it is so hard to get simple raw materials, whether it's rolled steel or, or, or um, rubber. Yeah, and inflation, you know, inflation is the big headline this week, especially. But inflation really isn't that much of a problem, right, Rob? Inflation's an interesting one because I always look at this and I go, as you look at inflation, you have to look at minimum wage, you have to look at a lot of factors. And I think the way the economy's driving and the supply demand, everything else, inflation comes into check with where things are going. And I think a lot of things will come back into their normal cycle of where they should be. Not, there might just be a, a momentary pain point for the system to correct itself. I agree. So we're going to try something new today. Since I had a, uh, a very fluid, great conversation with Rob last week, we're going to have a little bit of a lightning round here. All right, you guys ready? Yep. So we're going to do somewhat of a round robin. And I'll go first, and then Rob, you're going to go next, and followed by Corey. So question number one, what's one challenge and one opportunity we see for business owners looking out over the next six months? So the challenge, I think, is going to be supply chain. And supply chain is going to be, there's going to be constraints, there are constraints, and it's going to require a good solid six to 12 months. And I don't care if you are the Teslas and Fords of the world that can't get chips for your automotive, or you're a manufacturer that can't get your hand on steel. That's gonna be a challenge, but the opportunity is, and maybe this is a countermeasure more than an opportunity, the countermeasure is you're looking at companies today that, yeah, maybe two years ago were kind of like walking zombies, probably shouldn't even have been around, but because of all the liquidity that's been pumped into this economy, PPP loans, ERTCs, the banks are like, they're chomping at the bit. They're going to be able to use that excess liquidity, the cleaner balance sheets, to get through the next six to 12 months as they work their way through the supply chain constraints. Rob, you're next. So I would say challenge would be employee attraction and retention. We started touching on this. Attracting the right employees has been really hard, especially in that sub $50,000 a year salary range. With unemployment benefits being so high and everything happening, attracting new talent that's unemployed isn't happening. Retaining talent because people are now going and offering exorbitant packages to try to get the talent they need. Now you have to say, how am I going to retain my good talent that I have that people are going to want? So I think that's the one big challenge. The one big opportunity is reevaluating your physical footprint, your offices and everything else. There's a lot of opportunity, a lot of people vacated space, and there's good opportunity to acquire space on good, favorable leases for your office and also reevaluate how much space you actually need. What can be virtual? What has to be in person? What's going to be that new norm going forward? Are certain people hybrid coming in and out of the office? Does everyone need a large cubicle? Can it be a floating workstation that people come and go with dial-in phones? I think that's really going to be the footprint of people who grab it right. I'm with you, Rob. I love those two. Labor, especially blue-collar, under 50, staff, and then opportunity rethinking your footprint. Mm -hmm. Corey, you're next. I think one challenge that we will face, or small businesses will face over the next six months, is probably going to be like we are seeing 
we're seeing great times right now, right? It's like inflation is popping, right? People are coming out of like a horrible time for many businesses. Um, and so right now, as you put it, it's the 4th of July every day, right? But that's not going to last forever. And I think if we are uh, put our heads in the sand, for, for lack of a better term, and thinking that this growth is just going to continue, I think many small businesses are just going to get swept under their feet. If we think that the PPP, ERTC, like the, all this stuff is going to continue, I think we are, many small businesses are going to yeah, get Yeah, restaurant hit, revitalization too. Hit in the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. another one. Rob, what do you think about that? So I think you're spot on. I think like the PPP and all that other stuff and the restaurant revitalization, I think it's going to really add a unique color to see how we come out of the tail end of that. How does that really come back to the norm? How do people renormalize from this big infusion of cash? Because I feel like a lot of people now got the training wheels back on the bike. Hey, you know what? The road got a little rocky. We got some training wheels on to keep us on course. But are they going to be able to take the training wheels off to get back to where they need to be? That's the problem, right, with these social programs, not to get into policy here in politics, but social programs, immoral hazards, slippery slopes. You know, yes, you want a cushion. You want a social cushion, uh, whether it's big banks back in 2008, because let's face it, if we didn't go in and, and do what we did, did what we did back in 2008, I'm not sure we'd be having this conversation right now. Yeah. But there is a point, there has to be the point where you are closing the chapter, whether it's business stability, social cushion, like you need to turn that chapter and get people back to work. And I want to see the new norm sooner rather than later. Yeah. I think one opportunity on the flip side of that that we will see, and this is kind of Rob right up your alley, is I think two factors leading into this. A, with an aging population, right, to your point, Rob, like boomers getting ready to retire, right? A, and then B, with just the tumultuous past 15 months, I think we will be seeing a lot of businesses that are either just like, I've had enough, like I'm ready to retire, right, regardless of age. So I think there's an opportunity for acquisitions or uh, mergers or all of the likes right. for people yeah. that are still at this that want to acquire. So let's yeah. go on to number two. Hi everyone. Thanks for listening to the raw take for CEOs. We want to briefly interrupt this week's episode and talk a little bit about Growth Lab CFO services. Your Growth Lab CFO team is an extension of your management team. Our CFO team manages your annual strategic business cycle and is supported by our FP&A accounting and bookkeeping team. Whether you and your management are navigating a new banking relationship venture or private equity funding, scaling employee hiring, or simply looking for some strategic business consulting, our Growth Lab team can elevate your approach. If you are interested in partnering with Growth Lab, give us a call or email us at contact at growthlabfinancial.com. Now back to this week's episode. What are your top three headwinds in the economy that you see for business owners? Mm. What are the three headwinds? Well, I think getting through the inflationary pressures and figuring out how to how to make a problem, a challenge, into an opportunity. In other words, how do you have those crucial conversations with customers driven by this economic headwind, right? How do you have crucial conversations with customers to make that challenge into an opportunity? In other words, how do you increase prices? How do you have that conversation? So I, I think that's a, obviously that is a, a big uh, headwind. But like Rob said, labor, right? You can't, you can't 
you can't like not talk about labor right now. I think the biggest challenge though is how to renormalize people's way of looking at business after stimulus. As the liquidity begins to dry up, yeah. how do we begin to act quote unquote normal again? Rob, what's a headwind for you? I think one of the big headwinds, which is going to be an interesting one, is interest rates. Money is cheap right now, and it's very accessible. As money starts to tighten a bit and interest rates are going up, how are businesses going to react? Because right now, they get loans on a very favorable rate. And as long as they're profitable, there's a lot of programs right now that are giving businesses a lot of leeway to start moving forward. And I think we're going to see that start to tighten up. We already see it tighten up a little bit with Wells Fargo taking away their personal credit lines. Yep. So those loans are going away and all these things are changing. And we're going to start seeing people change that it's going to take work to get there because it's almost like when the mortgage industry took away the ninja loans and those no-show docs. <laughs> all of a sudden when they had to bring things back to a normalization, people got a real harsh reality check. I think if business owners capitalize on these cheap loans now and use it fruitfully, there's an opportunity for them heading into what's going to be a changing situation in the near future. Yeah, it's painful, right? I think the the key piece of what you just said, Rob, though, was fruitfully. Like We saw a lot of businesses use the PPP, um, probably not the most, to not in the boats. best way, to buy boats, yeah, to buy boats personal and cars. things, pay themselves, right? Like. Yeah. And they're dealing with that now, so I, th I think that's the key there. Yeah. Corey, what do you think? What's a headwind for you in the economy? I think a headwind is going to be consumer spending. With you know a, a couple states pulled back on this, right? The unemployment benefits, especially for the people under 50K, a few states have pulled back and stopped those benefits early. But for the most part, I think they end in September. September. Um, yeah. So September. how is that going to impact consumer spending? And because, you know, between the $800 billion dollars Individuals gotten stimulus checks and then just the unemployment benefits on top of that. It's like Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, sometimes Rob, we're we we think very sort of linear, right? And at least here we, we really try to understand what is the impact of unemployment benefits ending in mm -hmm. September. How is that truly going to impact uh, the economy or a bit particular business further down the line, three, six, twelve months out? So that also comes into a play what we were talking about before. Right now, there's a scarcity of employment. Once those benefits change, that $50,000 watermark, which is the crossover for people to take a job now, is going to drop to 30 or whatever it was before. And now all of a sudden, a scarce market, supply and demand curve, it's going to cross over. You're going to see a high influx of people looking for jobs and people who could work, who could wait it out or use temp to perm services to get through it are going to probably have a great opportunity to staff up in the fall, but right now that scarcity is hurting them to even make it to that point. Cool. Well, I, you guys are going to like the next one. So, question number three. Would you rather fill in the blank? I'm going to start first. Would you rather start a business or sell a business? That's my question to you guys. After you, Rob. <laughs> At this time, I think I'd rather start a business because I think with, with the opportunity we have now and where the economy is, I think this is a very entrepreneurial environment that people can prosper in. Good one. All right, Corey, jump on that bandwagon. Uh, 
Sell a business or start a business? I'd probably say start a business as well. Although I do agree with Rob probably for a different perspective. I think back to my point in terms of like one opportunity for like an acquisition, like if a lot of individuals are looking to sell, right, there's going to be an overabundance, right, hypothetically. And I mean, we're seeing it in the numbers that have come out, the monthly new business applications. I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal right now. We reached 550,000 monthly new business applications in the beginning of 2021. Crazy. Crazy. So would I start a business or sell a business? I think I'd be positioning... Depending on the company, I'd be positioning the company for an ultimate exit sale. I think today you're seeing good multiples, good valuations. To go back to what Rob said earlier, as uh, money begins to tighten up and there is a shift in risk, start seeing risk trades. I think now more than ever, if you haven't already started planning for your sale, I'm not saying you're too late, but now more than ever, start planning for that sale. So I would rather be in a position to sell a business than to start a business, although we work a lot with venture-backed companies. We're seeing a lot of liquidity and investments coming in for startups, okay? Makes sense if you have a, um, if your business is already, has that foundation that we've talked about, then prime acquisition target, because if you can't hire people, it's a great micro hire. All right, Rob, the next one's yours. Would you rather, Overpay to attract or overpay to retain employees? I'm going to say I would step back and ask myself, what capability do I really need to get to the next level? And Rob, if that meant to overpay to, uh, to acquire, the answer is yes. To overpay to retain, I don't think compensation structure needs to be 100% based on immediate gratification. I think you can fairly compensate people based on current wages and benefits, flexibility, work life, but I would overpay to retain any day as long as it is based on a pay for performance plan. That's my two cents. I think it depends on the business, frankly. I think that plays a big factor in what industry you're in. Prime example is like restaurants, right? It's like a lot of the individuals on the unemployment line were probably from hospitality industry. And in that case, it's I'd probably overpay to retain, knowing how hard it is to find a backup. So I think it's an industry-by-industry industry answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. It's yeah. a tough one. What about you, Rob? So I think it, again, I give the same answer. I think it depends. It depends on industry. Because I've seen, like, especially in restaurant hospitality, you're kind of over a barrel. You have to attract the right people because if you don't have waiters if you don't have busboys you got a problem but i also agree with you dan that incentive-based programs work phantom stock profit shares things that are going to incentivize somebody to get money based on performance really work and to me they're earning their keep and you have nothing to lose as long as they do what they're supposed to it will get to where it needs to be i agree all right corey you're next Would you rather have another round of PPP for small businesses, or would you rather cut off unemployment? Rob, you go first. Well, let's see. I would say, as harsh as it sounds, I'd rather cut off unemployment because I think we need to start normalizing. I think we've gotten a lot of stimulus. We've gotten a lot of help. Businesses are starting to have a healthy lifeline again. We have to start reeling back the government aid and start letting to see what's really going to happen in the economy. I agree. 
cutting the cord. Unfortunately, it does mean that there will be a lot of suffering. I'm not a proponent of cutting social benefits altogether. That's not what this is about. But this is about ensuring that businesses can compete with social programs effectively at market rates. When businesses need to start making compensation decisions because they're competing with social programs, that's not good. Those are my tax dollars. They're there as a cushion to support families, individuals to get through hard times. It is not there to support a lifestyle. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. We're going to piggyback on cut off unemployment. I think we probably should have done this sooner than September uh, to do it now because I think we're going to see a multiplying effect, like an exponential effect of this. With businesses continuing to use up that excess liquidity, we have that, so businesses spending, and then consumers drying up their spending, you know, in, the, mm -hmm. in a few months. Like, we're going to see both factors come into effect at the same time. And I think that that's going to have exponential damage versus, you know, cutting off unemployment now or a month ago when businesses still have excess liquidity. They may be able to ride that storm a little bit, yeah. a little bit better. But to capture customer demand and the surging customer-consumer demand, you do need, you need employees, yeah. not just raw materials. Mm -hmm. You need people there. Otherwise, you know, it's just an opportunity lost. Yeah, so. definitely. All right, Rob, we're coming to the end here. So let's turn the tables here. Let's talk a little bit about your customer personas. So let's talk about selling a business. You okay. have a unique economic variables. You got yep. infl inflationary pressures. You got the liquidity. Let's face it, this is like the roaring 20s in 2001. Yep. Customer consumer demand is back. So is now the time to start thinking about selling a business and what do we do? So I think when it comes time to selling your business, it's not a knee jerk reaction. It's not something that happens in three months. Planning to sell a business really takes three to five years out. You really have to lay the foundation to make sure your employees are structured right, your vendors are structured right. There's many components that come into play. Like you might have a business that's location specific that's important. If your lease isn't favorable to transfer to somebody else, I've seen businesses sell, the business is transferring, all of a sudden you have a car dealership that has a service department on a lot. Lease can't transfer. They're losing the service department. Until they have a new location with that service department, the sale can't happen. So making sure those pieces align, making sure that you've worked through the scenarios to make sure you're maximizing dollars. What's coming at the seller's note? What's coming from bank financing? What's coming from other factors of ways to mitigate tax exposure through non-qualified deferred comp or other variables you could use to really make the package right? Mm -hmm. I think that comes to planning it out right and making sure you retain the right talent because there's going to be retention bonuses. There's going to be certain things you need to do to make sure that that picture looks right. And I think three to five years gives you the runway to test the waters, adjust where you need to, and make sure everything aligns. Because you want when the buyer comes in to be a plug-and-play situation. You don't want to have them basically do a home inspection and find termites and find a cracked foundation. And all of a sudden, that offer of a million dollars becomes 700 grand. And by the time things start happening with clawbacks and other things, you rush to the sale because you thought you got a good price. You walk away in a detrimental situation. Yeah, so thinking about like failure modes in succession planning, you've just listed out a bunch of pitfalls, things to think about. What are top three risks that a small business owner needs to like 
stay focused on? So the top three risks are, I would say, employee risk, making mm-hmm. sure they have the right retention plans in place. Do you have your employment contracts in place? Non-competes and everything else. The other risk is lifestyle risk. Have you evaluated your lifestyle in and outside of the business? Some of the business sounds great, but if you think you're living on 200 grand and it's really 400, have you reevaluated? Because now all of a sudden you're paying different amounts in taxes. You don't have the write-offs of the business because you don't have the company car anymore. There's a lot of those factors that in the lifestyle that you have to worry about, and it's competition risk. Again, you said there's a lot of businesses changing hands, and as the market starts to flood, is it the right time for your business to sell? As you are your competitors, are you in a position that it's favorable for you to sell, or is it a fire sale that everyone's coming to market at the same time? Do you ever see small businesses, five to 25 million in revenue, do you see small businesses when they're about to jump into the world of succession planning and exit, uh, exit planning, hiring a chief restructuring officer, a turnaround person, a CFO, you know, really trying to get maybe Betty the bookkeeper or their wife that's probably yeah. been doing the books for like 20 years, right? Elevating out so, the systems. So that's been a huge thing I've seen. I've seen outsourced CFOs coming in big time because like you said, mom and pop shop, things that worked 10, 15 years ago isn't working now. Even in family business transition, dad ran the business, things were going right. You come in because junior's taking over. We go to say, hey, let's see the operating agreement. Let's see how things are getting handled. And they're using QuickBooks from 10 years ago that's on a hard drive. And you're like, why aren't you using the Cowboys? Why aren't you doing different things? Where's your chart of accounts? Where are all these different things? And they're like, oh, we just force it in at the end of the year when we do taxes or we kind of adjust where we have to. And in a transition, you don't need that, like you said. People do things in that golden box, almost have a sense of security in their job, but it creates problems where you need transparency. You need somebody to come in and just see and have a systemized, formalized way of doing things that they understand, hey, our chart accounts follows the normal flow of business. I can follow where the cash is going. I can understand and normalize what owner compensation is. I can benchmark it. Exactly. And when you have kind of businesses that run by the seat of their pants, that's a big discount that's going to come in because there's a big unknown of what those real numbers are. So having an outsourced CFO come in and really clean that up takes a year or two because people are going to want to see a year or two of tax returns that look right. I mean, I've seen businesses have tax returns that have K-1s with percentages that don't equal the actual ownership of the business because they thought they were partners. They thought they had a situation on their hands, but in reality, those numbers were not accurate and didn't reflect what was on their books. Yeah. Which again, took a big reality check to revise. The capital accounts weren't accurate. Other things weren't accurate. Yeah. Everything was done so haphazardly. I agree. You know, I always tell I always tell my team the difference between a venture-backed scaling startup and a small, medium-sized operating business is every month. When we invoice that customer, we're taking money out of that individual's pocket versus in the startup scaling venture backed world, it's baked into the cash burn. It's other people's money. When we service small, medium sized businesses, it's taking right out of their pocket. Yep. So, Rob, in closing here, tell our audience a little bit about your typical customer persona and how you help customers 
like if we could get a little bit more on a on a persona case level typical persona of a client for me is a closely held business typically five or less owners typically that small to medium-sized range that five to thirty million dollars in revenue market driven is industry agnostic but really smallly organized and really looking for a transition it could be a family business transitioning generations it can be a person starting to do the cleanup process to bring someone like myself in to some of the finance aspects and bring someone like growth labs in to do some of the other aspects as far as cleaning up the books and the outdoor CFO work and really guiding them and quarterbacking them as a concierge to really guide the process and find those gaps. I also work with some startups or early stage businesses that need to lay the foundation right because they do have ventured back money or they have an investor or they have somebody that wants to see the proper infrastructure and they don't know how to put that in place because they're great at making widgets. They're not great at maintaining their books. Right. And so, Rob, if somebody was interested in learning more about your services outside of reaching out to us, how can they uh, reach out to you? The easiest way to reach out to me is either on LinkedIn or you could go to our website, www.nathan.net, or email directly to me at robert underscore depalo, D-E-P-A-L-O, at nathan, N-A-T-F-I-N, dot net. Great. Cool. Robert DePaulo. He is on our 50th episode of Raw Take for CEOs. Thank you very much for Pleasure. being with Thanks us. Thanks so much, Dan. This is great. I've enjoyed uh, all of our interactions over the last eight months and um, yes. look forward to having you on again. And Corey, thank you for stepping in to those big uh, big shoes that Byler leaves behind. So, good. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, this was Appreciate good. Appreciate it. Okay, Steve, that was good. That's a wrap for this week's Raw Take. That was great. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week in the Raw Take for CEOs.